So welcome to the Sacred Wheel Immersion Speaker Series. Um, today, I am really glad to be speaking with Dory Midnight. This is a year-long series where I'm speaking to healers, visionaries, um, artists, wayseers, all about how we can create a world of peace, justice, beauty, and delight. And um, as I said, this month I'm talking to Dory Midnight, and our topic is birthing a new world. So Dory, welcome. Um, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, I um, I do intuitive healing work, and that can look like a lot of different things. Um, the some of the main modalities that I work with are um, plants. I work with plants and stones, and um, I do a lot of just kind of deep listening and supporting people. I'm trained as a clinical herbalist, so I, I do bring in some plant medicine that way, but more often I work with um, flower and stone essences, so really working on a kind of, you know, there's lots of different words for it, energetic, vibrational, magical, spiritual, kind of plane with plants and stones, um, and also doing some hands-on work, and then I also do um, teaching and facilitating kind of community-based healing and magic. Um, and my work is really kind of informed by communities that I serve. So I do a lot of stuff around um, uh, queer magic and queer healing, um, working with a lot of activists and change makers and people who are engaged in organizing and um, justice work. Um, and so, and that really informs and kind of grounds my work in the way, in the way that I work in a kind of like um, anti-oppression framework and a work that's really dedicated to collective liberation. Mm. Tell us a little bit about how you started doing this work. What were the, what were the calls that you heard around coming to do what you do? Mm. Um, it's sort of like going into that story is like, how does one begin to tell like this kind of like life story, you know? Right. Um, for me, you know, I definitely, it was something that I felt um, as a young child, like I, you know, heard, I experienced a lot of like hearing and feeling the presence of, of spirits. And um, I had like a very rich and vivid imagination, which I feel really grateful for that um, it wasn't too pathologized. It, like I definitely got a little bit um, of sort of like what was going on for me. Mm -hmm. um, but it also wasn't like I wasn't brought into some kind of like training or apprenticeship as a young person. I had um, the blessing of knowing um, two of my great grandmothers, um, both of whom were pretty witchy and um, taught me some things. And my ancestry is um, Ashkenazi Jewish, Sephardi Jewish, and Roma. Um, and I was raised pretty connected to those traditions and mm -hmm. in a pretty rich cultural um, life. And, you know, spiritually, I was left sort of like you like free choice, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I was, you know, from a really early age as kind of a seeker in those realms and, um, very early on, I kind of rebelled, um, against the kind of patriarchal and hierarchical religions and found my way to practicing like witchcraft and magic as a teenager, which really went hand in hand with like also my like blossoming feminism and coming out and, mm -hmm. Um, my politics. And so for me, those were all really braided together. Um, and 
I think growing up, I grew up in LA as a teenager, just like really felt deeply um, a real call to serve. Um, I felt a lot of grief and pain about um, the state of the world and um, the earth and injustice towards humans. And um, I knew I wanted to do something, but I didn't know exactly what it would look like. Although I had these visions of like, I think what I do now, I had visions of that, but I just didn't know how one got there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I went through my own kind of healing crisis where I was diagnosed with cancer um, really young when I was 20. Mm. And that was a huge part of my initiation is in terms of doing healing work. Um, for me, it really felt like it was a lot that had to do with my own connection to the earth and toxicity and ways in which I understood like kind of how I'd been moving through the world, absorbing toxins and like being like, for me, it really taught me a lot about my own boundaries and keeping boundaries in doing healing work. Um, and also the ways in which our bodies and the earth body are so connected in terms of how we experience um, the uh, the destruction of like our life, our yeah. our li- our aliveness, and the and the beauty of the world and our and our bodies and experiences as all kinds of beings here. Yeah. Um, and so that really like moved me forward in my healing path, and um, I had started learning more and more about plant medicine. And I began apprenticing with someone who became my mentor for, you know, the next 20 years Mm. who did intuitive healing work and stonework. Um, and then like through that, I basically just started like, you know, I was at the time teaching art and, um, magical arts to kids, Mm -hmm. but I was also, I, you know, went to clinical herbalist program. I went to a seminary and was ordained as an interfaith minister for two years. Mm. Um, and um, trained doing flower essences and Reiki, you know, just kind of like f- was wherever my heart drew me in those ways yeah. of like what I wanted to learn. And then um, I started my own practice about 12 years ago and mm-hmm. work with people in lots of different kinds of ways now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just touch on a piece in your story because I feel like it's really relevant to what we're talking about today. So it really was that connection into the pain of what's happening in our world that kind of birthed your uh, renewal or your sort of, I don't know, finding of your mm-hmm. path. Mm-hmm. What do you see, like, how do you contextualize that or talk about that in this idea of birthing a new world? How does all that pain and the hard stuff that we see going on play into this idea of trying to create a new paradigm? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that like in order to really f- feel the depths and the um, like magnitude of love and beauty and joy, like we have to kind of be that big. We have to have the capacity to experience the pain and the grief um, as well. Just like it, whatever we, when we increase our capacity to experience those things, we get both. And we Mm -hmm. don't really, I don't think we get to choose. I lost you. There we go. Okay. Hi. 
<laughs> you said, I don't think we get to choose. Yeah, like I think that, you know, the, the choice is then either just to be kind of like numb out, which is really understandable with the magnitude of pain that mm -hmm. is that we witness and experience. Um, but I think um, in a lot of ways, it's like our sacred duty and our sacred task to um, show up and be present for um, everything. Mm -hmm. And it's part of just being alive. And, um, you know, one of my, one of my, teachers who I, I, I love and really like if you're a person who kind of can easily feel really overwhelmed by um, news, the news of the world and also your experience and your feelings in it. Um, Joanna Macy is like such a wonderful teacher and, and an amazing um, writer and thinker. Yeah. And, you know, she really talks about sort of like in order to in order to like move through an entire journey, whether that be like through a moment's feeling, through a day, through a year, or through like this life, this lifetime, um, that we open to pain and let it transform us and let it bring us like that, that the pain and the love for the world are actually part of the same thing, that mm -hmm. we feel pain because we love the world. We feel grief because we want justice. You know, we feel rageful because of our passion for, like, wanting to see a different world. And so if we let, if we let that in and we allow ourselves to really feel it, that that can shift us and transform us. And, and I think as long as we have sort of the supports that we need to, you know, I mean, I think, like, when you're talking about it, especially when you're talking about it as a, the phrase birthing a new world, you know, mm -hmm. birth is so painful. Yeah. And, you know, I'm thinking a lot about, I don't know if you saw that beautiful talk. There's this Sikh woman, Valerie Kaur. Did you see it? Yeah. And it's just, like, it's so powerful talking about sort of, like, this time that we're in and um, what do we do in birth? You know, like, we, there's no getting away from the pain of it. Yeah. And so we hold hands and we breathe and we push and we, um, and we've been preparing. So I think like the kind of work that you're doing and the work that we're all trying to do sort of like in our, this, it's like we're training for now. Like yeah. this is what we're training for. We're not waiting for any, anything else. And so, um, just trusting that our, our interests and the things that we're drawn to is actually part of um, preparing us for this time mm -hmm. and the ways that we can experience beauty and delight and liberation and moments of um, connection. And yep. like we get to experience those moments now and that's kind of what we're working for too. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I'm remembering a time during my own labor, giving birth to my son, where it was almost impossible. Like, I remember even saying to my sister, like, if I don't even like him, like, what if I don't even like being a mom? Like, is this really worth it? Like, how could anything <laughs> possibly be worth this? And I think there's, like, I think we tend to lose sight of the fact that it's the same for birthing a new world. There's moments mm -hmm. where we can't even conceive of what's coming next, mm -hmm. um, which is what I want to talk to you about a little mm -hmm. bit, even though I'm prefacing it with we, it's hard to see, but those moments yeah. of like, I couldn't, nobody could have prepared me for how much love and like 
uh, how much my son was going to change me and how that was going to open me up and how wonderful it was going to be. There was like absolutely mm -hmm. nothing that could have prepared me for that. And in the midst of it, I remember those moments of like, I don't know that this is worth it, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't yeah. think anything is worth this. Yeah. So, given that we can't see it completely, but what is your vision? What is your vision for the world we're bringing in? What would you like to see us birth? Hmm. Well, I mean, that, that question is like, it's really touches something for me of just sort of like the, like part of the, like I think part of the world that we're in for a lot of people, and I think especially for marginalized people and for people who experience a lot of oppression, like the world is kind of shaped in order to uh, prevent access to vision and imagination and dreaming. Yeah. Um, and then there's all kinds of ways that we also like shut that off for ourselves. And um, so I think that like, there's so many reasons why it's really hard to, to vision and imagine. And, and I think that's the way forward is to really imagine um, and to really um, be able to dream really big and really wildly and like imagine what it's like to live in a world without prisons and to live in a world without um, police violence and to live in a world without genocide, to live in a world where people have enough to eat and have shelter mm -hmm. um, to live in a world where old people and young people are loved and valued and taken care of to live in a world where there's like people have freedom and self-determination and celebration of their gender expressions and that where trans women and trans women of color are safe and protected and like honored and adored and treasured um, where black people's lives are valued and protected. Mm -hmm. I mean, these are all these things that come to me about like what I can imagine, but I also think like it's, it's more than just saying those things. It's so much about sort of like, can we envision it? Can we dream it? Can we, can we dream into those places and feel like we don't get stuck in thinking like this is like, you know, the posture of sort of like being in the impossible or feeling so, distraught and hopeless because each day is like a new fresh hell with this administration and you know like um and not to be in la la land about it where it's like all we're doing is visioning like we have to be able to show up like to take those visions and be like okay what's the next step in terms of these visions and how am i living my life in alignment with those visions mm -hmm. and do i need to like make donations, show up to a meeting, support an individual, uh, you know, see if I can like give some clothes to a person, like to a refugee, you know, what are the like all the millions of steps that we can do knowing that like one person can't do everything. Mm -hmm. We need each other. Um, so I think, you know, for me, it really does speak to though, like how important like this work that, that you're doing, that your class is doing in terms of like, um, reconnecting to ancient traditions mm -hmm. that are in our lineages, um, reconnecting to land. So we care about, you know, it's like, we're not going to protect something we don't love and feel connected to. So how do we connect to our own bodies? How do we connect to traditions that like remind us how to love trees and dirt and rocks and earth yes. and birds and water. Yeah. And when we love those things, we're going to work to protect them. Yeah. 
and how do we feel connected to each other even if we're different from each other and that we would you know hold each other's lives sacred and how do we nourish ourselves to be able to keep showing up in those ways yeah yeah and it's interesting too because i i noticed with my students and with a lot of people that the earth is often a great conduit for that because when people first start tapping into their love for the earth there's also just this incredible pain that comes yeah. up and it goes back to the thing we were talking about at the beginning of like you almost have to denumb yourself and start to feel that and feel what we've done yeah so that you can connect into your deep love for it and it's it is through that pain this is, this is what I'm taking away, and I'm so glad we talked today because this is a valuable thing for me to have heard. It's that pain that helps us act. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's like, I definitely find that to be true with people that I work with where it's just like, I really want to go sit by the river, but when I sit by the river, all I can think about is like people not having access to clean water or just how polluted this river is, or I see like, I think about like the birds eating plastic or it's just like this overwhelming like wave of grief and you know it can and it's sort of like you pull it's you know pulling a thread in a tapestry you start to pull one thing and it's just like oh my gosh when is this ever going to end all of this this grief about what we have done and what we continue to do mm -hmm. and what this plant's going to be like for generations that to come mm -hmm. um and that's when it's really good to like cry your eyes out <laughs> and connect with other people. Um, and also just like, connect. I mean, I think it's like, a, it's a really important witnessing and showing up for the earth um, to do that and to be willing to do that, you know, um, and not just be in a kind of like um, extractive relationship with the earth where it's like not only are we trying are we getting like resources and our food and everything but also that's where we get our emotional support it's like no like this is a this is a relationship so yeah how are we tending to our side of the relationship how are we both like listening being good listeners to the earth and then also responding and being like i'm going to tend to you and i'm going to take care of you and really like be like be in relationship to a tree and i think you know something that can like thinking about the thing that you feel really drawn to that you go to f for support like do you go to the water do you go to the ocean do you go to a tree do you go up a mountain do you go to a meadow you know your garden full of flowers wherever it is it's like being in relationship with that receiving all of that love and support and beauty and then sort of being i think like all of our traditions no matter who your people are in our traditions it's like being in that reciprocal relationship of being in gratitude and also being in service to that thing then yeah. like being in service to what you love and um and so yeah i mean i think being moved by our pain and grief but also being moved by our love and mm -hmm. um getting to be in both of those things it does help us act and does help us move and help us act in different ways like i think um there's a lot of different ways that resistance or activism or whatever word you want to use can look, it can look so many ways, you know, mm -hmm. and it's not just showing up to protest. In fact, that can't be the only thing that we're doing. Yeah. Like we are raising children and feeding people and feeding ourselves and teaching and showing up for work. You know, there's just so many things that we're doing and how do we also like see the things that we're already doing and see the ways that those can be resistance 
or even with just a little shift, how it can be even more, like we can make even more of an effort to have it be an act of love and care and um, compassion and justice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you already started on this talking about getting involved and in, in, in feeling out your relationship with the earth. But there, are there any other practices or do you find yourself giving advice to your clients um, or, you know, uh, people that you work with over and over again about how they can move through this and navigate this relationship and also how they can contribute to this idea of birthing the world that we all want to see? Mm, yeah. Well, I find, I don't know if this is true for you, but I find that a lot of the people that I'm working with these days are really um, longing for a connection to ancestral practices and ancestors. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. um, and that can be really complicated for a lot of people in terms of what they know about their ancestors or just sort of like going in that direction and feeling the pain there, you know, or the disconnections or um, the inheritances of addiction and trauma and abuse and poverty or, uh, you know, genocide on either side, you know, colonialism on either mm -hmm. side. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I find that that is a really strong, um, a strong place to start is by looking at, and when I say look, I mean like, Yes, like asking family members if you have access to that, researching with books and online, but also really like looking deeply, like it's that information. You know, I really, th I think about this in terms of people doing these DNA testing now that it's like, if, when you think about it scientifically, you're like, oh yeah, I, you know, they're going to test my spit and find these strains, but it's so magical that like in your spit, mm -hmm. like in the waters of your body, in your blood are these traces of all of these lands and these people mm -hmm. that you come from it's like mm -hmm. it's so mind-blowing mm -hmm. and so how could that you not have access to that like if you can feel when you're like oh my god it's mercury retrograde or that's like my gemini rising or whatever mm -hmm. it is that we all mm -hmm. say where we really like we feel that to be true it's like what if we really listen to our blood and our bones either through daydreaming or night dreaming or trance work or whatever like those stories are innocent can be accessed that information, those memories, the ties to land, the smells, the plants. And so I think one practice is to, for me, is to really like reconnect to um, what did before, what, like we often have to go back many, many generations to a generation of people who were connected to land and yeah. who did land because, because of industrialization and everything that yeah. has happened in the past few hundred years. Um, and for some of us, like in terms of the genocides that have happened and diasporas and whatever, like, you know, but basically dreaming yourself back to uh, a generation or an ancestor who connected with land and feeling in your body, what was their connection like with the land? Mm. What did they do? Like, you know, did they spend their day harvesting, um, walking, shepherding, you know, like, mm -hmm. um, and then trying to feel that in one's own body and in connection to land, you know, because mm -hmm. most of us don't live in the lands that our ancestors did. Right. And so I think getting right in ourselves, but also getting right with the land that we live on and being like, if you're going to connect with this land, first of all, it's good to think about what land your people came from, how your people came to this land. If you're not native, mm -hmm. 
make reparations to the land that you live on, ask for permission. And then, you know, like, and then I feel like then you can make an honest and good connection to the land. So Mm -hmm. that's, that's one piece. And I think then another piece is really just like having it be at the beginning. I mean, I think like any relationship, how do you start a relationship? You introduce yourself. Yeah. You ask a person how they are. Yeah. You offer them tea you know, or, you know, you make an offering. And so I think like thinking of it really like it's not this, it doesn't have to be this sort of like elaborate ritual, like really simplifying things in doable ways where it's just like, you already know how to do this. You know, like you introduce yourself, you ask them how they are, you make an offering, and then you see where the relationship goes from there and where you're drawn to, like trusting your body and your intuition about like what you're drawn to do and that there's not a right way or like there's not a sort of protocol. Yeah. And, and then I think from there, it really comes down to trusting your intuition and being like, I think a lot of us grow up with so much, um, like the schooling that we are in trains us to really question ourselves and think there's one right answer. And so when we start doing intuitive practices, we're like, oh, like, you know, mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. tree isn't talking to me or like mm-hmm. this flower didn't like come to me and God mm-hmm. is form and like, you know, like I think because How do I know it's real. Totally. That's yeah. such a huge question. And I think with like Harry Potter and fantasy books that we all love, we have this sort of like hyper mediated vision of what it's going to be like when we're engaged in a magical practice. And it's so, it can be so, I mean, it can, it can be dramatic sometimes, you know, mm-hmm. but most of the time I think it's really subtle and it's just like, oh, this feels mm-hmm. familiar mm-hmm. or I feel myself mm-hmm. or this feels grounding or mm-hmm. I feel good, you, yep. know, you know? Um, and so I think trusting that your experience is your experience and it's perfect and you're doing it right. Like just kind of getting over your own self doubt is also yeah. like, an, it's, that's not a practice in itself so much as it's like a way to hold any practice that one does. Yeah. Really invite in your child self. Who's like, I can talk to trees and trees talk to me, you know, mm-hmm. like, if you had that experience as a child of just being like, you know, yeah, everything is magical and alive and, and alive. Yep. And you are, you're like the expert at this, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, yeah. you know what to do. What you're doing. Yeah. I want to go back to one thing you said before we um, wrap up, which is you said make reparations. So making reparations mm-hmm. to the land, maybe owning a little bit of the ancestral, your ancestral past that may not have been so rosy. Um, what does that look like for you? How does mm-hmm. that, how, you know, just for people who don't know what you mean by that, how, mm-hmm. what can that look like? Well, I think like to start with like learning about the, um, whose land you're on mm-hmm. um, and learning about like, are there people who are still around? And, you know, like I know that in the Bay area, there's a, there's a native land tax um, that basically is the native people have asked to basically when you pay your taxes to the government, that you also pay taxes to the land, to, to the people, to the mm. native people tribes of the mm. land that you're on. So that's like a very literal way mm-hmm. um, to make connections. Um, I think that it's deep work to connect with that, the land that you're on and ask permission to be there. Mm. Um, to really go slowly in terms of like changes that you make to the land and to ask the land to really speak to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, 
I think like learning history and honoring history and then and offering tears mm-hmm. and witnessing is actually a really beautiful and powerful way to, to like know the history of where you live and um, who the, the original inhabitants were and mm-hmm. um, and let yourself feel. Yeah. Let yourself feel the pain of what's happened on this, on this land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm just trying to think of an appropriate question to close up here. Cause mm-hmm. I've just, I've loved talking with you and I'd love to just keep you here all day and talk <laughs> more all about this, but I know we both have busy days ahead of us. So, mm-hmm. What's the one thing you wish people knew out in the world, uh, people who might be listening, people who might never listen to this. What what is the one (laughs) thing you wish that they knew about this whole idea of death and rebirth, this whole idea of bringing Mm. in a new world? Um, Hmm. Hmm. That's a big question. Um, what do I wish people knew? I guess, um, I really, I mean, I love that Arundhati Roy quote about, um, not only is a new world possible, but a new world is here. And on a quiet day, you can hear her breathing. Like the way in which time is not linear and space is not linear. And that like, we, like that there's a way in which that world is with us Mm -hmm. or like on the other side of something that's, we can't even sense. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think especially on days and in times when it feels so impossible, um, the, the importance of like getting quiet and centered in order to like, reconnect with the vision of the new world and I think like when you were talking about sort of like all of the stories that can spin when one's in labor of like Mm -hmm. is this worth it well I even like it Mm -hmm. um I can't do this this is too painful I mean it's just like that kind of contractive energy and like and then when you're able to either look really down or look up and get a wider focus Either way, I think it would be really medicinal and helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, that um, yeah, I guess just like what how do we stay connected to to our visions and to our dreams um, when they're under attack, you know? Um, yeah. So I, I guess if there's something um, if there's something thing I want people to know or remember. Um, I mean, it seems like we're like, how do we stay connected to our visions? Um, and how do we stay connected to our power and have like learn how to have a right use of power? Mm. Um, and um, And staying connected to like a feeling of possibility that like, and that we have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm.
every day and we might not get to see the outcome and that's not what it's about. Yeah. Yeah. That's just like a thought at this moment. I don't know if that's like my forever answer about that, but thanks for trying. (laughs) I sprung that on you. Um, One thought I just had while you were talking and referencing, I mean, just using my own birth stories and metaphor was, I was like, oh, what was the antidote to all those questions? And I was like, Mm -hmm. attachment. Like I had no idea Mm -hmm. how attached I was going to become. And I Mm -hmm. think there's that, again, all the themes we've circled around of like feeling the pain, feeling the grief, but then also becoming attached, you know, becoming attached to this earth, becoming reattached to one another, becoming reinvested was just a thought that sprang up to me of like, oh, and here's a perfectly like natural example we have of how we become attached to each other all the time. Totally. Yes. And it's so, I mean, just like as another, as another person who's parenting, it's just like, it's, it's painful. Like it's like to love something so much sometimes and like feeling like you would do anything for it. So I think like, yes, feeling like there's this incredible Aurora Levin's Morales poem mm. it's called Vea And in it, she says, defend the world as if it is your lover. It mm. is your lover. Defend mm. the world as if it were your child. It is your child. And I think really like having that intimacy with the world, having the intimacy with earth and like being able to feel in our hearts and our bodies and our spirits, what, how we show up for our lovers and our children and being in that kind of intimacy with the earth and with water and um, with the birds and like we would do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. I think we're going to end there. That's beautiful. Perfect. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So thanks everybody for joining us for this episode of the Sacred Wheel Speaker Series. Um, If you want to find out more about Dory and what she does, there is a link to her website at the bottom of this video. Dory, do you want to give us that URL just in case people are not able to access the video on YouTube? Sure. Um, My website's www.dorylandia.com. It's D-O-R-I-L-A-N-D-I-A. Yeah. And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah. And if you want to get more episodes of the Sacred Wheel Speaker Series, there's also a link at the bottom of this video that will sign you up and you'll get uh, reminders about when I'm doing another episode. And next month, we're going to be talking to Melanie St. about desire. Thanks for joining us.